Hello and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm Craig Moorhead. And I'm Sean Harwell. And this is the podcast where we talk about some movies that we have failed to see. We are on Twitter at Never Podcast. We are also online at NeverHeardPodcast.com. Come say hello. 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 Sean. Hey, man. So this week's movie is Born to Win, a 1971 movie starring George Segal, uh, Karen Black, Hector Elizondo, and sort of Robert De Niro, I guess. <laughs> yes. Um, if you've seen the posters, uh, there's only one that seems like a real movie poster, and the rest of them seem like it's all about Bobby. Yeah, they uh, look we'll like be- uh, like somebody was painting just some fun <laughs> paintings of Robert De Niro to sell at a kiosk in the mall, like those black you know, yeah. velvet ones that you see. They're, yeah, that's what those look like to me. Super high-quality stuff. Here is our usually overwritten summaries on IMDb. Uh have shrunk down measurably for Born <laughs> to Win. Yes, and the summary is this. A smart-mouthed, junky loser known as J.J., George Seagal, spends his days looking for just, quote-unquote, one more fix. Um, Chasing the I don't dragon. Know, yeah, I don't know why they put that in quotes. He's l- quite literally looking for one more fix. He's kind of hustling on the streets of New York, trying to make money, trying to... I don't know. Uh, <laughs> fall in love a little bit? Fall, fall in love, yeah. Uh, he's trying to, to quit, and it's not quite working out. Uh, so, Sean, you said you'd never heard of this movie. Not at all. Let's start with your impressions. Well, first of all, the title, I really th- I had to think that this was going to be some sort of sports competition movie, right? Mm-hmm. And then... You know, I, I pull it up. I think the summary was slightly different on Amazon because there was some mention of Seagal being a hairdresser. Right. Which, did that, I mean, I feel maybe that got mentioned twice in the movie. Yeah, it it barely came if up. that, I don't even know yeah. if I would have noticed that in the movie itself had I not read it beforehand. I, but anyway. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. Go ahead. Yeah, so... I was not expecting George Seagal. I was not expecting him to be a junkie. Uh, This movie took various turns that I did not expect. (laughs) Mostly, though, I felt like that this was just payback for me making you watch The Swap and that whole debacle. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, I think we've now sort of cornered the market on the uh, completely non-essential Robert De Niro movies. I think we've, we've pretty much got it right here between these two podcasts. Um, yeah, I also, the I guess the first thing I noticed was this is probably the worst looking video on the internet. It just it looked terrible. I don't know. It was bad. Yeah, I, and I I you know I have a video projector. I mean, it's not the nicest newest one in the world, but it's it's enough that it it should have looked better than it did. And it's it's really really dark in places, mm-hmm. and just. I think the aspect ratio was wrong. Did you notice that during the opening credits, some people's names were kind of getting cut off on the right side? I, I didn't know that. I, I had actually assumed it was, you know, like a normal sort of academy thing. But but yeah, I I, I, uh, I, I didn't notice it getting uh, cut off. But uh. but mostly my takeaway from watching this, and I, you know, I don't think that we need to. 
we can get to the plot, but I don't, I mean, I feel like that, that description yeah. sort of, I mean, that really does kind of tell you what this movie is about. He's sort yeah. of a small time con to the extent of he's trying to score and needs money to do so. So he, he's a very inept crook. He's not good at it. I don't think we ever see him really be successful in that no. manner. And so he bounces around a little bit from crime to crime. There's just, my biggest takeaway from this movie is, is a matter of tone. And that's something that, uh, I've seen this described elsewhere. I think on the Wikipedia as a black comedy. I I don't know. I don't. I, it, to me, it, it was not dark enough or yeah. f- funny enough to really sort of satisfy either of those desires or or you know intentions. So it kind of did not work for me in that regard. That I felt I was uh, never on. Oh no, sh- like a sure footing or a, a solid foundation for exactly just sort of what I'm how I'm supposed to react to this movie yeah I feel like this is one uh another one in in sort of a string of movies we've watched where uh you can definitely take some really good moments out of it you can just kind of pull out like wow you know some really cool stuff but overall it's 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 another one that the, the tone is kind of all over the place and one scene is incredibly broad where he's he's been told to strip down and wait in a room. He puts on this pink <laughs> robe, and I mean, it, it is. If you only oh saw that gosh. scene, you would assume the rest of the movie was a straight out comedy. Yeah, like there there's nothing serious about it at all, and and it goes steps way out of bounds of being a serious junkie movie. And I, you and know then, what, I liked yeah. that scene actually. We can just take sure. one second. He he does put on that robe because that's the only thing I guess available is what we're supposed to believe. He's stuck in this room while the uh, you know the guys that are you know trying to figure out what to do with him are negotiating elsewhere in this apartment. But then, <laughs> because he's worried for his life, he notices he's looking out the window and notices a young woman who I, I'm going to call a woman. I don't know. Maybe she was like a teenage girl on the balcony yeah. of the adjacent apartment complex. So he starts waving and jumping around frantically trying to get her attention and succeeds in doing that. And then is, is just, is like trying to pantomime for her to call the cops. And when that doesn't work, he flashes her, which I thought was kind of brilliant because yes, yeah, she yeah. went inside and told her mom that this, this dude was over here at the next door, like flashing me. And so she went in and called the cops. So uh, plot wise, I thought that was kind of, that was kind of interesting. It was kind of clever. Uh, Absolutely. Again, tonally does not fit the rest of the movie whatsoever. No. I mean, all. even the end of that scene ends in sort of an off-screen gunfight. <laughs> like everybody dies. And him like, like running from cops. Yeah, like, like who are not pleasant cops. You know, it's, it, they're not funny. So it's weird. I mean, it, it really, in, within a sequence, things would veer all over the place. And I have no, no clue how he really got out of that apartment, by the way. I don't know if I looked down or what. The next thing I knew, he was just out and gone. I'm like, where is everybody? How did he do this? Anyway. He, he, he ran out of a, he ran out of like another door. Yeah. And, and that, that was pretty much it. Like he, he, uh, he apparently walked by the gunfight <laughs> and ran out the door. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, Craig, <laughs> How? Yeah. Let me ask how you heard about this thing then. Um, where in the world did Born to Win pop up on your radar? Are you a massive George Seagal fan? Uh, you know, I am a George Seagal fan. Uh, yeah. But, no, I, I found this one 
I think this was another one that I found because I was looking for stuff for us to do. Uh-huh. And, and you know, I, like, I, I keep hoping I'm going to find, you know, a 30 or 40-year-old movie with tons of famous people in it that's really good that for some <laughs> reason, like, nobody's watching anymore. Uh, haven't found that yet. I but we've come close. That's, the, that's, the, that's our mission, close. though. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're digging exactly. for diamonds. Exactly. I, I, I would hope so. I mean, I mean, the coolest thing is, I mean, we are finding... I'm not going to talk about how cool we are. Um, uh, well, if you want to, go ahead. <laughs> I won't stop you. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> but yeah, it was just it was just searching for things online that I could uh, that that would be interesting to to look at here. And, and it seemed like it seemed like it was going to be a very serious minded thing. It was probably going to have a, a very dark ending, and it would just be one of those things that came out of the early '70s that was gritty and you know. People just can't handle it, man, and that's why right. no one talks about it because they didn't watch it. So I do think there are there are things that you have missed if you haven't seen this. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I can see why it's not uh, on the top of the list. Well, I will say, uh, yeah, if we want to talk about what's good in this movie and what is interesting to me is that I also feel like this is a good example of what's bad in the movie, and that is Karen Black, who is an actress... I love, and I think most people mm-hmm. probably know from Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces. Yeah. She she pops up in this thing, uh, literally just walking down the street. And my first thought was, oh, wow, this is, Karen Black is like playing a normal woman in a movie. I haven't seen that before. Right? So she's not like out of her mind crazy. Yeah, uh, because she's looking into a car that George Seagal is in the process of trying to hotwire and steal. And ta-da, it's her own car. And we go from, oh, well, that's that's kind of interesting that a woman is, is seeing her car being stolen and kind of messing with this dude uh, by not letting on immediately that it's her car as he's in the act of stealing it. And then she immediately is charmed by that, I guess. I, it's the strangest setup yeah, I think for a relationship, and so unbelievable. Um, I don't know much about what 1971 New York was like. I have a couple ideas, and mm-hmm. I don't think most women were looking into their cars as they're being stolen, thinking, "Hmm, this might be a potential date." Now, <laughs> yeah, they go back to her place, and it becomes pretty quickly apparent that. You know she's into to men, and this is not necessarily uncommon for her to, to have like you know flings and you know bring dudes back and and sleep her way through town, right. which again is sort of a disappointing justification I think for that character and for that motivation of them getting together in the first place. Like you know it's it's yeah, I don't know it just it uh, I lo- lost quite a bit of interest in her when she slept with him three hours after he was trying to steal her car. Yeah. Did you make any heads or tails of that character? Because it ends up becoming a major through line of this script. I mean, of this movie is their relationship and sort of where she stands on the sidelines of his addiction and her own interest and involvement later on in, in trying to him trying to, you know, score some money and do these jobs that he gets in over his head with, with um, his dealer 
so I don't know. It just it was unfortunate because I do like her so much as an actress. Yeah, I I felt very much the same way. I didn't really understand where she was coming from most of the time. I didn't really understand the psychology behind uh, yeah, how she met him and she wanted to still be with him. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a bit later on where he comes back to her apartment and I think it just cuts straight to her and she is actually in hysterics crying but I thought she was in hysterics laughing. Maybe that was just after when he escaped the mobster's apartment. Right. And he ran out of there. She was yeah, laughing. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't she? But no. She was no. crying? She was crying. Because <laughs> she, she was like, oh, I thought, like, I thought you had been killed or something. Right. And I was like, and, and that, was, that was exactly my whole reaction to it was just like, wait a second, you're crying? Like, I thought you were laughing about the fact that he was in this robe and all this yeah. stuff. But then she's actually crying, and then and all I could think was, "Are you re- you're that invested in this?" So yeah, so a lot of that didn't gel very well. Yeah, I mean, I will say it, it's an unusual couple. I mean, it, it's not yeah. necessarily rote or something that we've seen a thousand times. But I think yeah. you could also make the the case of what exactly is is it about her that draw that you know George Segal is interested in? Um, yeah. You know, other than the fact that I thought the whole thing was like he walks into her apartment and, and initially I think tries to rob her, right? Because he can tell that she's got money. And, uh, right. I, I, again, like I, I'm blanking on whether or not that ended up just being a joke or not, but I don't, I feel like it, it, it wasn't like initially. No. Yeah. And so I kept thinking he's going to end up using her for, for money or something. And because that, again, made made sense to me of what I know this guy to be and and what you know typically might happen in that situation where two people are meeting this way and going back to her apartment that quickly. Yeah. Uh so the whole thing is just is a bit odd. It's a bit I can think unfocused. But again, there's moments in it that I think are really interesting. I actually liked the bit where you remember he asked her how many men she's been with? And she just starts holding up fingers, counting yeah. off fingers. On, and then I think she gets to like 60. <laughs> and he's like, where am I on that hand? And she's like, oh, you're, the, you're over here. You're the pinky. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, and again, I, I, I'm trying to remember. I, I think she says that she's even kidding afterwards that there wasn't that many. But I just like how they did right. that. I mean, it's sort of an actorly thing. Like, yeah, I kind of half imagine Karen Black coming up with that herself. Sure. Uh, and maybe the, the crying thing was a bit of the same way. But uh, I, that one kind of worked for me. I, I did think it was kind of cool. And, and there's just some nice moments between the two of them. Uh, although, yeah, I, it, two actors I would not have really guessed to put together before this movie at all. True. You know, so it's kind of interesting in that regard as well. Yeah. And actually, let's, let's talk about that then. Let's talk about George Seagal as a junkie. My sort of knowledge of this this man as an actor, I think, comes exclusively from Just Shoot Me, that TV series. (laughs) And I I think other sitcoms, like I've known him kind of as a sitcom-y actor. Yeah. uh, And specifically an older man. 
Uh, I had no clue that he had ever ventured into anything like that. And I don't know if, if maybe some of that is, was affecting my uh, appreciation of what he was doing or what was your, what's your take on that character and Seagal as that character? I remember him from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Okay. And I think that was the first thing I'd seen of him. Who was he in that? He was uh he was Nick, right? He was the um I haven't seen that in so long. The husband of Sam- so so it's like yeah, so it's beautiful movie. Elizabeth Taylor and, and Richard Burton and then it's the younger right. couple. So he was okay. the husband of the younger couple. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um but I but I do agree uh it is interesting casting. I mean at the time it probably wasn't that interesting. Uh, uh <laughs> I don't mean I don't mean interesting, but it probably like it didn't seem at the time. It probably didn't seem like, like he, casting against type. Yeah. Whereas now we think of him as like the responsible dad. Maybe he's mm-hmm. a little bit goofy, but he's you know. So yeah, he seems like too much of a mature man to be a junkie on the street, and 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 you know for that matter, his his uh, junkie friend doesn't look super junkie-ish no. you know like 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 now you would have people with rotten oh, yeah. teeth and skinny and sick looking like there would be no question about it um and actually this is something i wanted to bring up later but we'll do it right now yeah. there is another movie that came out this exact same year that deals with that new york heroin culture in an entirely different way and that is the Panic in Needle Park, which oh uh, yeah, yeah, that was like Dustin Hoffman's like second or third movie. And that thing, yeah. that thing is bleak. I just watched that earlier this year. And really, it is a dark, dark, rough movie, but really, really gritty and really, really good. And it goes, it goes to that area. I think that we're kind of talking about where yeah, this this feels like you were in there i mean this is yeah. one of the few drug movies i was uh born to win where i don't i feel like did we get a shot of a syringe going into anybody's arm no the most we got were tracks like i think that was yeah. the closest you saw bags of heroin and you saw tracks and that was it yeah it's so it's so again it's like that tone is is it just doesn't quite go far enough in into that world to, to really present the dark side of it yeah but uh I don't know. Back to Seagal, I think it's it's an interesting, it's a pretty interesting performance. It's kind of, yeah. I don't I don't think he's the problem of this movie at all. Like I, no. I sort of even when he's when he's dancing around being funny, uh, and, and in that that moment where he's wearing the robe and those sort of broader things, he's good at that. Like it, there's levity there, and he's running from the cops, and he's just desperate. I mean, he's just he's a loser, which I guess is the irony of the title. Um, he definitely belongs in the lead role of this movie. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the few maybe confident feeling things about the movie uh-huh. is is him. You know, he's 100% into the role. There are bits where, you know, he comes off very charming in order to try and steal something or, you know, he, uh, yeah, a lot of these bits where he... <laughs> you remember he was talking about an enema with the lady at the casino where they're trying to yeah. take... <laughs> that's in like yeah. the first five minutes. So it's pretty funny, but like, well, and that's the thing. Like, like little scenes like that are great. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 you so you and you sort of feel like that's what that's the kind of stuff the movie's going to be built on. Yeah, I I do feel like you you do sort of start to lose confidence because of things like the Karen Black relationship and uh, something else I was going to talk about later on. So he basically kicked heroin in like twelve hours. Yeah. Um, you know that was another thing. Uh, it, it's set up a little it, early on where he talks about they're going to drive upstate. Did it take and, you longer than that, by the way? It's uh, eighteen hours. Uh, uh, amateur, amateur. Okay. I, maybe that's maybe that's all it is. <laughs> but you got to yeah. get a born to win tattoo, and then you can do these kind of things, man. Uh, yeah. I, well, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't do everything in order. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So it, it's it's little things like that 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 kind of made the movie feel less and less confident or less knowledgeable about what it was talking about. You do sort of, uh, you get that obligatory, he's got the shakes though on the beach. Yeah. He and Karen Blue, and he's in Karen Black's lap with a blanket over and she's kind yeah. of caressing him. So it looks like, it ends up kind of looking like, so you're going to have a bad flu for, for the afternoon. Yeah. It's like, that doesn't look so bad. Um, and then we might as well talk about the De Niro in the room and talk about De Niro. <laughs> hey, Sean. Yeah. Let's talk about De Niro. <laughs> let's, t- let's talk about Bobby D. <laughs> He's a cameo in this movie, at best. He pops up in a few scenes and, and isn't even the dominant actor in those scenes. And yet, and anywhere, almost anywhere you see this movie online, you got a big De Niro face looking at you. Oh my gosh! Uh, I don't even know. Like one of those photos uh, for one of the DVD covers, it doesn't even look like his his character in this movie. No, but it's his giant potato head. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, the the potato head <laughs> shot is. I honestly think it, it's the same shot that they used for the swap. Probably. So but yeah. So there's a little cottage industry of people buying bad movies that De Niro was in. And oh passing them off as De Niro movies. But yeah, he plays a, a, I guess, a detective in this, right? Yeah. And that was another thing. Was kind of, they they keep busting JJ uh, Seagal's character, and yeah. he's already got a history with him when they bust him. Right. And another scene that I thought was was pretty cool was Seagal goes and hides for these guys from these guys in a laundry room of an apartment complex and gets in the dryer and then the other detective comes in and just turns the dryer on and he's spinning it and he's just sitting yeah. there watching him. It's kind of funny. But De Niro, oh man, uh, you know, he's still got that. It's kind of, I don't know, I did sort of appreciate seeing him as a law enforcement officer in an early role. Since, you know, it, it seems like he's always been on the other side of the law yeah. in, in most of the other movies I'm familiar with from this time period for him. I did see on the IMDb trivia that according to the director, he De Niro almost got fired a couple times because he was basically just trying to make his character larger than the rest of the movie. And <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know. Did you get that sense when you were watching it? Not in the least. Me either. I, I don't, maybe it would have helped the movie to be honest. Yeah. Like, maybe he should have taken over. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, he, he seems like, he seems like the sidekick to this other detective. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's the number two guy in that role for sure. Right. And, 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 you know, and it's anytime he's on screen, it, it feels like full on De Niro. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, that's exactly what De Niro would do. It's like, he, he doesn't seem green at all. Like, it's just like, 
he was always that guy. Like, he could have stepped into Taxi Driver right out of that scene. Um, he says the word but, uh, baby a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, baby. A lot of great 70s slang going on. I was a little confused yeah. by their relationship, uh, as far as the plot's concerned, with Seagal's character. They bust sure. him. He's just, I mean, I, I think Seagal has been out of prison a year. Not long, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's already yeah. been in. Um, and so they want to use him as an informant or as a uh, as bait. They're trying to get to Seagal's dealer, who is played by Hector Elizondo. And the character's name is Vivian, although they call him the geek for, for some reason. I don't, I, I, it obviously doesn't geek. mean because he's into like calculators and computers. But, uh, maybe that's like drug slang from the 70s. But... Uh, I didn't. I, I maybe I just tuned it out a little bit. I didn't quite follow how that that particular storyline got resolved with De Niro and the other cop, as far as what they ended up getting from Seagal. Or I, I don't know. Did, did they get killed in that? No, that was two other. That was other cops. And that's a really good question because I remember there being a feeling that when he came back from the beach, that he was gonna. He, he was going to have to tie up all these threads, yeah. you know. Uh, all these people have to get him. Uh, but you're right. I, I I can't remember how any of that was yeah, resolved. It, it, I can only remember how the Vivian was resolved only because that's the last scene. And it felt weird to me that, like, they knew this guy. They had just busted him for yeah. stealing. Like, he broke into – well, he didn't break into – he talked his way into a woman's house – and stole the drugs from a very, like a mobster, basically, right? And ran out. The cops were there. They chased him. So they bust him with possession, not to mention right. theft, break, you know, whatever. They held this woman at gunpoint. So even in a sort of plea arrangement like that, which is not, it's not even a plea. It's not like he's being sentenced yet. In an informant arrangement, they're just going to let this dude, like, go out on the street and go to the beach and get clean for this time. I mean, it seemed weird to me that they weren't on his... Yeah ass the entire time like as soon as you get out of line you're going to jail we can put you in jail right now you know because of what we just busted you doing so that whole i don't know that whole thing felt maybe it was it was a uh, byproduct of some stuff got cut or it just didn't ever really resolve itself yeah uh yeah very possibly he he comes back from the beach they drive back in. He takes $25 from her. Right. And then what is it that he goes and does? He goes, to, he, he tries, he goes to try and score. Mm-hmm. And is that, that's when he gets mugged with his friend. It's either that or is, that's when the, is that when the friend dies? No, not yet. Okay. Obviously, the, the, <laughs> this plot held our, uh, <laughs> held our attentions completely. Well, it was tough because, the, the, yeah, the stakes weren't exactly kind of clear in some of those those situations whether or not yeah he is going to score or is he going to do this thing to help the police catch this guy you know well but you and you never really know what what his goal is yeah uh the the closest he comes to having a goal is when he talks to parm <laughs> who i kept thinking her name was pam and then i would see the name parm, parm. karen black chicken parm yep yeah uh, <laughs> Uh, but he talks to her and says, you know, tells her the thing about driving upstate 
getting clean and that whole thing. Which also but begs then, the question because they did that, right? Yeah. Why not just keep going? Just go right yeah. on. I mean, or stay yeah, there. Yeah, why would you ever go back? Yeah. yeah. It seems like the biggest pull he would have back to the city would be drugs again. Or par. But she's true. with him. Yeah. Right, exactly. And God knows yeah, what she does for a living. I mean, I, I have no clue. <laughs> like, <laughs> it seems like she could just go and do anything that she wants to because that's kind of what she does. So. Yeah. The opening scene. Yes. Is medium close up of George Segal talking to someone, an unseen person, and I don't think we ever see the person. Do we? Like, I don't think it's ever revealed who the person is. No. Um... And, it, and it's, him, it's him talking, and then there are these little transitions between these sentences. That was my first tip off. The things might go awry because all the things he's saying didn't really seem to add up. I think he talks about hairdressing there and he talks about all these things and he's kind of rambling. Yeah, and he's using his hands a lot. It's uh yeah, it's a weird little monologue. Yeah. And I it's and very I, I don't theatrical, I think. Yes. Yeah. And and it's all broken up. It would be one thing if he just delivers a whole thing. Right. But it seems like he was I was assuming it was just like off the top of his head, like a bunch of stuff that he says, and they <laughs> they use it to pad it out. I know, like anytime I see something, it's like eighty eight minutes. It's like I don't know. Some of these scenes are they're just trying to get it long enough. Sure, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was there's definitely the I remember the the tone of it being a little more serious in nature, mm-hmm. which then made it a bit odd because. We cut from that, and they're going. And he and Billy are going into the casino, or what? I think it was a. I don't, was it a casino? I, I seem to remember it as a casino. Maybe it was just a restaurant or something. But to to <clears throat> steal the safe from behind the secretary, and yes. that whole thing. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's like something out of Bottle Rocket. Like it, this idiots. Like they <laughs> they are pushing the safe out on a little dolly. Yeah. a revolving door and he just completely loses track of it almost rolls right into like a taxi cab or a cop car or something and it's just they had to run i mean it's it's pathetic it's like yeah it's the bumbling crooks um yeah and so i again like i did not know that these were junkies at that point and so i it just no. was not setting me up for that at all i mean and maybe it was mentioned in that monologue but i don't i don't know i didn't piece it together then for so. sure yeah and then there's also, so, you know, just structurally, they use that one club as sort of a. Um, they go, they cut back to that a couple of times where uh, that, that Paula Prentice actress who I think played his. Was that supposed to be his ex wife? I was assuming so. There's, there's but this, now she's with Vivian? Yeah, it was weird. Uh, there was some discussion about her kid, kids, which made it sound like it was. As if Seagal was was talking about their kids, and he did mention right. to Parham with Karen Black uh, in that you know obvious scene where they meet and have sex all in the same mm-hmm. night after he's trying to steal her car. Typical New York love story. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he, he mentions to her that he does have kids, um, but they go back to that setting, I think three three or four times. 
And yeah. that's, yeah, that's where Hector Elizondo is. There's also that weird moment where he, I think he buys some heroin and they go in the back room. Do you remember this? There's this really weird mm-hmm. shot where I think Seagal is getting shot up with a needle, but the way they shot it, like it, it looks like he's getting oral sex from the dude. <laughs> I maybe I should was just like oh do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it was so weird because you only see like a portion of the other person's like like a quarter yeah, of this person's body, and it's from the back, and it's <laughs> it's just staged like that stuff. You know, you don't think about it, but it's important because it can be yeah. read. The really like I was thinking about that scene in Boogie Nights where he's like the dishwasher, you know, at the club before he starts working for Burt Reynolds, Mark Wahlberg. Right, right, And that right. guy comes, you know, people are coming in to, to see his giant girth. Um, I don't know. That's what that's what this club, that was the only like frame of reference I had for these like little club scenes. Yeah. They're so yeah. weird. Yeah, maybe it was a comedy, Sean. I think it was. I think I just made it one in my head. It's I think, hilarious. I think it had to be. I mean, yeah, I mean, it... <laughs> From the from that beginning scene, he seems funny. Yeah, like like none of that seems serious. And then they they do this bumbling, yeah, safe thing. And then by the end of the movie, he goes to Vivian after his friend just OD'd from a hot shot from a bad bit of heroin. That was <laughs> I didn't know anything about that. That was kind of cool. And they put like rat poison or battery acid or whatever. Yeah, yeah, a hot shot. They should have called. Why don't they call it, this movie it, it, the Hot Shot? I know that'd be cool. Anyway, it, it would have it would have several different meanings. <laughs> it would be great. Yeah. Uh, or score. Score would have been good. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, so a movie that started off with with the bumbling uh, safe robbery, and then it ends with. Well, I don't know. I'll ask you, Sean. What do you think about the tone of that last scene? Did it feel to you like Seagal was fine with whether or not? that like hit of heroin was going to kill him. Uh I don't know. I did I had this the same question. I I think I will go with yes. It did seem like he was resigned to either he's going to get high or he's going to die and that was that. Um yeah. If I'm not mistaken, his girlfriend uh, Parm had just been arrested, right? Didn't they take yeah. her away? Um, yeah. So yeah, it ends, it, it ends with him on a like a park bench or something, or just a bench on the side. He's sitting down in the middle of New York, and yeah, and sort of contemplating the next step in possession of a package of heroin. And yeah, I, I think I got the sense that this dude is possibly gonna die, and he's gonna do it anyway. But yeah, pretty pretty dark ending for a, for a movie that didn't right. really start out that way. Yeah, like that the 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 last scene felt more like what I thought the movie was going to be all the way through. Let me ask you though: Is Train Spotting the only junky comedy um, of <laughs> note? Are there others that I'm not thinking of? Because I don't know. Man. Could could you have made this into a pure comedy? Not that drugs are funny. Right, but sometimes addicts do funny things. Yeah, you know, Train Spotting is a comedy, but somehow it doesn't forget about uh, how bad that whole life is. Right, because I never felt necessarily offended by how funny Train Spotting was or anything. No. 
But, but and that's part of the charm of that movie, I think, is that it is offensive in taste and sort of, you know, there's a bit of yeah. shock cinema and shock value yeah. in some of that stuff. But again, it's like, you know, p- part of the, the beauty of how that works is that, yeah, morally you are supposed to be repulsed by what's going on, but also entertained by it. I mean, I think that's yeah. that's kind of crazy and, and super cool and, and kind of exciting to, to watch something like that. I think that's why train spotting works so well. Um, yeah. I don't know that there was an opportunity for such a story within born to win, but by God, maybe they should have tried it. I don't know. What about a slapstick version? <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too, is train spotting is, is really told from the point of view of you and McGregor, right? Yeah. So it's, it's almost like a memoir. Mm-hmm of that guy so i think i think that helps you get away with a lot it's interesting too because it depends on the drug obviously sure because i mean marijuana you've got an entire subgenre of stoner comedies yeah yeah you're you're never in any sort of like judgment of the characters because it it seems pretty harmless right Uh, and then i think they're also sort of cocaine comedies of sort they're definitely cocaine comedies, right i think you know yeah you could say parts of blow or parts of boogie nights i mean it feels like there's there's several movies that do some funny things in that world i get maybe heroin is just too (laughs) maybe it's just too much uh maybe that yeah uh, trans trans spotting will be the exception to the rule i don't know um there are no there are no good crack comedies maybe not which is a shame and then the question becomes, can you make a heroin comedy if you yourself are not an addict? Uh, and, and mainly, okay. just, just wondering, just wondering, does that context make it not funny? Interesting. So you're talking a little bit about authenticity, um, I uh, guess? or a, a, a little bit. Well, a little bit, but at the same time, you know, if, hey, the latest heroin comedy just came out from this guy who's never tried drugs in his life, he just thinks it's funny that people are addicted to heroin, then it's kind of like, eh, it's not really funny. That's not a funny thing. Well, I, I think you have to have some some kind of insight to for it to actually feel funny. You can laugh at it. Right. I'm going to go ahead and say I wish that weren't the case. I wish you could do that, yeah. but I think you're absolutely right. It, it, today's society, no, you can't get away with it. There's so much scrutiny over it, it, you know, every single choice like that. You look at the casting of Emma Stone and uh, what was that Cameron Crowe movie, Aloha. Yeah. Um, yeah. People will find that. I, I think you're right. I think there would be some. Uh, some blowback from someone attempting to do that and coming from a place of zero experience or knowledge, just saying, no, I thought it was funny, so I wrote it. Yeah. But it, it does seem like it would be really fun to write something like that. Oh, my God, yeah. Where it's where it's like all your characters just, well, I mean, we're overlooking uh, fear and loathing. I mean, but that that's kind of all about the, the trip, well, yeah. Well, yeah, fear and loathing is like a is like a drug adventure movie. Yeah, you're right. Whereas this is like your drug slice of life movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so a drug adventure movie is great. It is, but that's also that tough be too because it's it's hard to sort of relate what is a non literal experience in in a in a something that's supposed to be kind of taken or or experienced as as literal by the you know sitting and watching a movie like it's hard to kind of get i don't know i i think it is hard i do like that movie a lot but it is hard to get a sort of bearing on the insanity 
Yes. I mean, it works when you have that filmmaker and those people and obviously that, that uh, source material. I think we can both agree. Maybe there's something to the comedy, the hard drug comedy. And, and on that note, as a little bonus to listeners, are you familiar with Deep Dream, the Google neural network algorithm? A little bit. I have seen some of uh, the artwork that it produces. Yeah. Have you seen the video, the clips of Fear and Loathing that they put through there? No, it sounds terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, okay. We, we'll, we'll definitely post it to the web. You have to see it because it, it will make you feel insane. And it's, it's so... To have those images in motion, there's something about it that kind of reveals to you how your brain makes sense of things. Because you're watching it and you see all these shapes and and you're the whole time you're watching it, like your brain is just trying to figure out what you're looking at and it all looks like something. But then it's immediately gone and it's so smooth. I don't know. It may be the closest you can really come to hallucinating without actually hallucinating. Wow. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. I, 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 really, uh, <laughs> I really dug it, but I couldn't watch too much of it because it freaked me out. I had a little, had a little freak out. Well, that's, yeah, I, I think that would be the tolerance test for any movie trying to do something like that. Um, yeah. You got to have a story in there, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even, even Fear and Loathing, the movie, I remember the first time I watched it where I felt like there was some point in it where I felt like, the, like, this is kind of like when, I, when I'm stone sober and I'm like babysitting my drunk friends on a Friday night. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, I didn't feel like I was a part of the party. Uh, and I feel like later on, Hearing I, I kind of got into it a little enough. more. Yeah. 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 Um, so. I mean, but there's a lot, you know, there's definitely a, 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 a market and a subgenre for that, that type of movie, like fever dream movie. I mean, a lot of, oh, I'm yeah. just thinking about like David Lynch's, um, like Lost Highway. I still like that movie. Oh, I, I love that. Yeah. But it makes no, I, I couldn't explain it to you. Uh, maybe you can, no. but yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's. You know, a handful of practitioners that can kind of pull that off is, is really impressive filmmakers. And uh, yeah. yeah, I would love to see more of those kind of things. But it is, it's it's tough to do. And yeah. probably really, really tough for George Seagal and Karen Black to do in 1971. <laughs> Although, Karen Black, you know, easy rider, man. That had its moments, for sure. I know. Whole she trip was sequence already... in New Orleans. Yeah. I hope when they do... The director's cut Blu-ray of Born to Win. Criterion? When Criterion does it? Which I'm sure... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it'll just be Robert De Niro's face again for no reason. Yeah. Just on the front. I would, now, I would love to know if there was anything more to that and they just... They couldn't salvage it. Honestly, these are the kind of movies I, I would love to hear the stories about and figure out how they became this. You know? Like to have a commentary on it and just hear like a guy just like, Oh, yeah... <sighs> we tried, <laughs> you know, but, but, yeah. but he just, he could explain to you like, here's what I wanted to do, but then we couldn't get this shot. So the whole thing had to be scrapped and that's why this doesn't make sense. Right. Like, no, man, you never, I, I would kill. You never get commentaries for those movies. I don't think. No. <laughs> they don't spend the, the money to, uh, to record them. Yeah. It's too bad. <laughs> they, they really don't. Um, but yeah. So as always, if anyone listening knows anything more about this movie, please, Please let us know. Uh, and I think we've talked this one to death. So, Sean. Yes, sir. Let's talk about what's happening next week.
All right. So originally when we recorded this episode, I stumped Craig with the 1939 Alfred Hitchcock masterpiece, Jamaica Inn. That's right, Jamaica Inn. Is it a masterpiece? I, I don't know. I don't even think it's set in Jamaica. At any rate, it was on Amazon Prime the day we talked about it. The following night, it wasn't. It was gone. This, this is the problem of the digital age that we live in. So instead, next episode, we are still going back in time quite a bit. We're going to talk about the 1949 beautiful black and white drama by Max Ophuls called Caught. That's C-A-U-G-H-T. Uh, it's not the only movie called that, so check it out online and make sure you get the right one, 1949. You'll know it when you get it. Uh, it is on Amazon Prime as of today. Uh, hopefully that stays the case. I think you should check this one out. It's a cool one. And as always, come back and listen next time. Subscribe on iTunes, and it'll show up right in your in your little podcast player there, and you don't have to do anything else except listen. Thanks. We'll see you next time.